It is uh, December 6th, it's 2015, just a few more weeks we get to say that. Our message this morning is called The Truth About Bacon and Islam. If you're in the house today and you have a Muslim heritage uh, or are a practicing Muslim, I recognize that the title is offensive, that I am offensive and I'm going to ask you to be big enough to sit and hear me out. Sometimes the best thing that happens to us in our life is that we get offended. I believe that the worst thing you could do to a human being is know that something is true and hide it from them for fear of offending them. So let me get the bacon part out of the way. I ate a pork loin last night. For all of those, I was called a rabbi a few days ago. I'm not. I am in love with a Jewish rabbi, uh, but I am not a rabbi. The pork loin that I ate was wrapped in bacon. It had pork sausage in the middle of the loin. It had been butterflied. It was covered in cheese and sprinkled with shrimp. So... My children have Jewish names. My king is a Jewish king. I have a reverence for Israel. I love Israel and would fight and die to defend Israel's right to keep the law of God and honor it among the nations. But I ethnically am a redneck. That's the official scientific term. And uh, I have two Bibles on the pulpit today because Nick Slaughter has taught me how to let your old Bible disciple your new Bible. And so we want to thank a rising church for that. My shirt will remain untucked for the remainder of the message, and you can thank King's Harvest Fellowship for that. Uh, the Greek food in Baton Rouge is better than anywhere I have ever been. Uh, I would think that it is probably best to start with our title slide, The Truth About Bacon and Islam. This comes from 1 John 22, is what I wanted to share with you. It's on the screen. If you'd like to turn to it in the book in your lap, that is the most influential book that has ever been written. It has shaped the course of human history. And although in our time leaders mock it and deride it, this is the enduring Word of God. This is what Jesus incarnated, and it is wonderful, beautiful, and above all other things. So I love the Word of God. Do you love the Word of God? Yes. I'm not in the habit of making disclaimers other than to say that when it is evil, we will call it evil. When it is righteous, we will call it righteous. We are willing to repent when we are wrong. Anxious to do so, the life that is always repenting is always growing closer to the Lord. 1 John 2, 22. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. Say Antichrist. Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Let's say that out loud. No one who denies the Father... Has the Father. The point here is there is no way around the truth that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father except through me. 
This means there is not dual covenants. Jews are not saved one way and Christians another way. This means that not all religions are correct. It means that although world leaders call something a religion of peace, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and acts like a duck, today I will call it a duck and do so fearlessly. There is one worldwide religion that I am aware of that specifically in their written scriptures, in the Quran, denies the Son. This verse in 1 John 2, 23 says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. I printed off this next slide off of the Quran, uh, a website of, called the Holy Quran this morning. Because my copy of the Quran has left our library. Uh, if you have it, praise God that you are studying and return to the church library, the books you borrow from the church library. <laughs> Under a chapter heading called Gross Blasphemy, a subheading, in the 19th surah, you see these words. They said, the most gracious has begotten a son. You have uttered gross Blasphemy. The heavens are about to shatter. The earth is about to tear asunder and the mountains are about to crumble because they claim that the most gracious has begotten a son. It is not befitting that the most gracious should beget a son. If you find this compatible with Christianity, you are ignorant of your own faith. When I say that, it's not my intention to hurt your feelings. It's to call your attention to the disparity between your working tribal knowledge of the Scripture and the truth of the Scripture. The truth is that today, behind pulpits, we often have a bunch of whimpering eunuchs that cannot tell the truth. They are completely and utterly powerless, and the Bible says have nothing to do with such men. 1 John 5.3 is something that I'd like to put on the screen for you. It came out during the worship service today, and it is worth covering again. There is only one way to overcome the world. The Bible says it like this. This is love for God, to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. How do you overcome the world? You've got to be born of God. Not a church member. You must be born of God. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. I'm not concerned about terrorism in Paris. I'm not concerned about terrorism in the United States. I do not bite my nails before I go to bed at night. I sleep quite well, despite the fact that I have started nearly every service for the last several years, with disparaging statements about the true nature of Islam, I stand here completely convinced that the Quran is a satanic book, that Muhammad was a pedophile, and that Muslims can be fantastic people. People that I love, some of you are ex-Muslims now. But that the religion that has shaped much of the Middle East is, in fact a whore religion. It is not the bride of Christ. It is the prostitute that the book of Revelation speaks about. Could that be any clearer? 
Now, if this makes you angry, if this makes you scared, if you tend to look over your shoulder and want to see if someone is going to come in the back door, have no fear. In the name of Jesus Christ, we have a faith that overcomes the world. There is no moral equivalence here. When you think of moral equivalence, I want you to to run through the pantheon of things that you hear on the nightly news and from well-meaning but ignorant Christians. Well, isn't kosher and halal the same thing? No, not by a long shot. I want to show you something that is confused even in the Messianic community. I'm going to read it to you. It won't be on the screen. It is in your Bible. This is Deuteronomy 14. And when you're looking at 14, (coughs) we're going to pick up in verse 21. Do not eat anything you find already dead. You may give it to the alien living in your town. So you may give it. You You can't eat it. If you are an Israelite, you are not allowed to eat it. But you may give it to an alien living in your towns. And he may eat it. Or you may sell it to a foreigner. Say, sell it to a foreigner. foreigner. Our God did not give Israel a dietary code because the dietary code was in and of itself moral. He simply wanted to make the nation distinct. And he has the right to do that. But at the same time that he gave the dietary code to Israel and no other nation, he said clearly, a Gentile may eat this. It's summed up in a single verse right there. Now, I want to ask you, When you hear people speak about Sharia law, do you hear an exception for a foreigner, an exception for an alien? There are no exceptions. They believe that Sharia law is divine, and because it's divine, it is their obligation for all mankind to submit to it. Kosher is not the same as Hillel. It never has been. It never will be. When we think about Doesn't the Older Testament espouse the same attitudes as the Quran? I want to read to you from Leviticus 19.34. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself. Say, love him as yourself. For you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In other words, the reminder to the nation that God was forming. You may not treat any other nation badly because they're foreigners or aliens. In fact, treat them like you would treat yourself. I'm going to read to you in just a little while contrasting ideas that come to us from the Quran. And yet the Quran is not the star of our meeting today. The amazing word of God is the star of our meeting today. When people draw a moral equivalence between the Older Testament and the Quran, they have failed to read the Older Testament. And the next time that you are told something like that, I challenge you to take out Psalm 19 or Psalm 119 and read it in its entirety in their presence and ask them which part of it they object to. It's almost as if we want to quagmire in ideas without having to actually examine a subject. Aren't Allah and Adonai basically the same thing? 
I'll leave that to you by the end of this meeting. Isn't Islam a great religion of peace similar to Judaism and Christianity? Well, Matthew 7, 16 says, Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You could be a small child and learn to answer this objection. Let me ask you, when you heard that a husband and wife team walked into a public building and started shooting people, did you immediately think, oh, obviously the Presbyterians are upset again? How many of you called the Knights of Columbus and said, you know what? I'm pretty sure this must have been the Knights of Columbus. Anybody call the Shriners? Do you call your bridge club? Now let me ask another question. How many of you were shocked beyond belief? You just could not imagine how it could be that two Muslims had committed this act. I'm not going to get into the arguments with you today about what is and is not a moderate Muslim. I'm simply going to speak about the founder of Islam. When you want to know what Christianity is, you look at Jesus. If you want to know what Islam is, look at the life of Muhammad. And I have a question for you if you sit here today and you are from an Islamic family that you believe is moderate. Do you admire Muhammad or not? And if you admire him, then that says something to me about what you call moderate. Because when I admire Jesus Christ, he never cut a head off. He never advocated doing it. He never threw a rock at a single person. And he certainly did not wage war. But as far as I can tell, any casual reading of any history book cannot affirm the same attributes in Muhammad. I want to tell you something that ought to be so obvious that it shouldn't need to be said, but it needs to be said. I am not a racist. What you're seeing in the top left-hand corner of your screen is a man with dark skin who is a Muslim. To the right, a man with red hair and white skin who is a Muslim. Beneath, a man who is yet darker than anybody previously mentioned who is a Muslim. To the bottom right, obviously an Asian Muslim. In the last few years, I have been in Kenya and met Muslims. India. Romania, Hungary, Austria, Germany, London, France, Switzerland, Italy, Belgium, Mexico, Honduras, Trinidad, Aruba, Suriname, Peru, Jamaica, the Grand Caymans, Israel, Amsterdam, Turkey, Sri Lanka. I could keep going. And that's just the last few years. And you know what? I have seen Islam in every place that I have been to. That does not mean that every Muslim person that I have met is a bad person. I don't need to give those disclaimers, but they have something in common. They are reading the same book. I want to read to you from Isaiah 5 for just a minute. If you'll turn with me to Isaiah 5, you cannot be racist against a set of political and religious ideals. To disagree with them is not racist. This is not a race. It is a demonic religion. In Isaiah 5, look at verse 18. Woe to those who draw sin along with the cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart ropes. To those who say, let God hurry, let him hasten his work so that we may see it. Let it approach, let the plan of the Holy One of Israel come so we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good 
and good evil. Who put forth darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I'm going to ask you as we move forward to consider whether or not what we are describing is evil or is righteous. Whether it is light or it is dark. Whether or not it is bitter or it is sweet. And then consider what the Bible says about your opinion. Before we do that, understand in our time we have an inability to name any religion as a bad thing. But this was not so. In June 15th of 1944, we began experiencing an epidemic in World War II of kamikaze pilots. Over 3,000 of them. They were participators in the state Shinto of Japan. The word kamikaze literally means divine wind. Can you imagine if when a kamikaze began his descent towards a ship and yelled hisatu, which means certain kill. It was the Japanese version of Allah Akbar. If we said, you know, many of these kamikazes are moderate. Not all of them are blowing up our ships. It is not the individual that we have a problem with. It is the actions that are derived from this satanic religion that we have a problem with. Today, we are partners with Japan. Today, we love Japan. Today, their government has been designed and blessed by the U.S. government and their economy is stronger and better than ours. Do you know why? Because they assimilated Western ideas. That's why. Because the side of the globe that was shaped by Judeo-Christianity influenced them in a way that shaped their society and brought them out of the Middle Ages. Ask your grandparents if they had a hard time seeing kamikazes as evil. And if they did, well, then they were born in the wrong age. But I don't think we could have won the war without declaring the evil axis. I don't think we could have won the war without calling it what it is. Thomas Jefferson was the third president of the United States. We're going to go through a small amount of history, and then we're going to hop into the Scripture. The third president of the United States, when we're talking about this time period, it is 1801 to 1809. Think how close that is to the founding of our nation. And we entered into the first Barbary War. One-sixth of the entire U.S. budget was demanded as tribute by the Barbary states to prevent piracy. In other words, the taking of American hostages by Muslim pirates. The continuing demand for tribute ultimately led to the formation of the United States Department of Navy, which was founded in 1798. The reason the United States has a Navy today is in response to Islam. The first naval battle since the Revolutionary War was in 1801. The very first marine invasion in our history was led by Stephen Decatur in 1804. All acts against Islamic aggression. Each of these events was the direct result of Jefferson's understanding of Islam from reading the Quran and speaking with his ambassador to the Barbary States. We have some of the actual written dialogue between the ambassador to the Barbary States and the President of the United States. 
He said, it was written in the Quran that all nations which had not acknowledged the prophet were sinners. That hasn't changed, has it? Whom it was right in the duty of the faithful to plunder and enslave. And that every Muslim man who was slain in the warfare was sure to go to paradise. He said also that the man who was the first to board the vessel had one slave over and above his share. So that when they sprang to the deck of an enemy ship, every sailor held a dagger in each hand and a third in his mouth, which usually struck terror into the heart of the foe that cried out for quarter at once. This is the United States ambassador to the Barbary states describing his interaction with his Muslim counterparts. Jefferson concluded after claiming to have personally read the entirety of the Quran, that he could find no method to deal with this situation other than the medium of war. So if the third president of the United States did not find Islam a great religion of peace, has Islam changed? Or have our presidents changed? If you've ever sung the Marine song, the Marine Corps song, from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, the shores of Tripoli are a reference to the first Barbary War. John Quincy Adams is the sixth U.S. president. Listen to his words. With the preternatural energy of a fanatic and the fraudulent spirit of an imposter, proclaimed himself as a messenger from heaven and spread desolation and delusion over an extensive portion of the earth, adapting all the rewards and sanctions of his religion to the gratification of the sexual passion. He poisoned the sources of human felicity at the fountain by degrading the condition of the female sex and the allowance of polygamy. And he declared undistinguishing and exterminating war as part of his religion against all the rest of mankind. This was John Quincy Adams referencing Muhammad himself after simply reading the Koran. If the third U.S. president didn't have a problem calling out Islam, and the sixth U.S. president did not have a problem calling out Islam, do you think Islam has changed or do you think our presidents have changed? In 1940, a man named Winston Churchill became the prime minister in England. If you don't know his name, you owe the fact that you can still speak English in this country to him. He said about Islam, and he said this in his second term from 51 to 55, wherever the followers of the prophet rule or live, a degraded sensualism deprives this life of its grace and refinement, the next of its dignity and sanctity. The fact that in Mohammedan law, every woman must belong to some man as his absolute property, either as a child, a wife, or a concubine, must delay the final extinction of slavery until the faith of Islam has ceased to be a great power among men. That was the opinion of the prime minister that saved the Western allies during World War II. The influence of the religion paralyzes the social development of those who follow it. No stronger retrograde force exists in the world. Is he a bigot? 
He's just narrow-minded. How could he not have understood that global climate change was a bigger threat than kamikazes or Islam, which I see is relatively similar? But how do we say degrading to women? Who dare says that? Do we say degrading simply because some wear burqas? I mean, what about Islam is degrading to women? Again, a direct quote from the Quran. Men are in charge of women by right of what Allah has given one over the other and what they spend for maintenance from their wealth. So righteous women are devoutly obedient, guarding in the husband's absence what Allah would have them guard, a reference to chastity. But those wives from whom you fear arrogance first advise them. So far, so good, huh? I mean, if you don't mind being property, certainly you won't mind taking a little advice. Then if they persist, forsake them in bed, because we know that's what punishes you women the most. And finally, strike them. How many of you like to say that with me? Strike them. Hey, man, this is a, this is a peaceful book. Strike them. You show me a Bible verse that tells you to beat your wife before you call me uh, morally equivalent. But if they obey you once more, seek no means against them. Indeed, Allah is exalted and grand, obviously. I'd like to show you some present commentary from an industrialized nation, we love to throw those words around, on how to beat your wife. This is commentary on that verse. قضية الضرب دي شبه خطيرة جدا واحدة واحدة معنا مولانا أقول إن الله كرم المرأة بهذه العقوبة عقوبة الضرب كيف؟ كرمها بالضرب هي والله مش معقول كيف؟ كيف؟ قال نبينا صلى الله عليه وعلى وسلم ولا تضرب الوجه الله ولا تقبح شوف كرمها إن ضربها لا يضربها على وجهها حتى وهو يضربها لا يسبها ولا يشتمها عجيب إذا هو يضرب للتأديب وإذا ضرب لا يزيد عن عشر وإذا ضرب لا يكسر عظمة ولا يقطع لحمة ولا يكسر سنة ولا يفقأ عين أدب عند الضرب إذا ضرب عند التأديب لا يرفع يده إلى أعلى بل يضربها بحذاء صدره كل هذا تكريم للمرأة هي تحتاج إلى تأديب تحتاج إلى تأديب فكيف يؤدبها زوجها بالوعظ فإن لم ترتدع ولا تنزجر بالهجران فإن لم تنزجر بالضرب وجعل شروطا للضرب لا تضرب الوجه ولا تقبح وأنت تضرب لا تقبح لا تسب ولا تشتم يا ابنة كذا أنت كذا لا ممنوع هذا في طيب الإسلام تكريم لها يضربها بإيه نعم بعصا قالوا إن ضربها يضربها ضربا غير مبرح لا يترك أثرا يضربها بعصا قصيرة وإذا ضربها لا يضربها على وجهها ولا على أماكن الرأس التي تؤذي بل يضربها على بدنها ويفرق الضرب كل هذا اختيار اختيار لإجراء العقوبة لكن هذا لا يكون إلا عند استحالة الوسائل السابقة. There's an etiquette in beating your wife. I mean, you don't want to make her ugly. 
can't raise your hand above your head when you hit her. And if you use a stick, it needs to be a short stick. Honor her with discipline. Now, you could quickly argue not every Muslim in the world believes this. Well, of course not every Muslim in the world beats this. <laughs> believes this. The question is, why is there a woman anywhere on the planet that thinks the Quran is a good idea? It's not only political leaders that have called this out in previous times. Let us visit the Methodist church for a moment. I don't think John Wesley has a thing in common with the United Methodist movement today, but that's another subject. And I know pastors you can call if you want to learn what compromise is. But in this case... John Wesley, the founder, was an uncompromising person. And here's what he said about Islam. Ever since the religion of Islam appeared in the world, the espousers of it have been as wolves and tigers to all other nations. Such was and is at this day the rage, the fury, the revenge of these destroyers of humankind. Because Wesley obviously was just a hater, you know. I mean, you know those Methodists. Let's draw a moral equivalence. How many Methodist bombings have there been in your lifetime? Let's draw a moral equivalence. Let's go back even 200 years. How, how many Methodist buildings have been blown up because, I don't know, you drew a cartoon of uh, John Wesley? Or maybe his brother, Charles. No, in fact, you can mock everything about Christianity, its leaders. It doesn't even raise an eyebrow. But... God forbid somebody make fun of your beard at work. That could be a justification for killing people on CNN. Who would make fun of a beard? Everybody ought to have one, even if it's an ugly beard. Except women. And if you are a woman with a beard, I'm going to suggest, you know, a uh, ninja suit. Let's talk about takia in lying. I didn't say taquito, I said taquilla. Taquitos are what we will eat after church. This is from Wikipedia, and it's very small on the screen, so I'm going to read it to you. Now, Wikipedia is not where I learned about this, but I, because it's sourced, and this was this morning at 9.45, I wanted you to hear it. Taquilla redirect, I'm sorry, taquilla, in both Sunni and Shia Islam, is a form of religious dissimulation or illegal dispensation whereby a believing individual can deny his faith or commit otherwise illegal or blasphemous acts, especially while they are in fear of or at risk of significant persecution. I want to put that in, um, in English for you. You're allowed to lie. But don't take my word for it. I saw this on the news last week. Uh, Mr. Chowdhury, I'm Kathleen Parker, and I have a question for you. If I understood you correctly, you said a bit ago that you support any Muslim doing the work of a Muslim. Can you describe exactly what you mean by the work of a Muslim? Yes, I believe that uh, Islam is submission 
And that applies to every aspect of our life, whether in our relationship with our families, our relationship with the society, even the way that we address people and invite them to Islam. Jihad is not something which, you know, the Muslims are permanently engaged in. But there is jihad to liberate Muslim land, which is an obligation for the Muslims to support verbally, financially and physically, to liberate and to defend our life and our property. And of course, this is something, you know, the Muslims around the world, I don't think will differ with. They may say one thing to you in front of CNN, but I can assure you behind your backs, in every massage, in every, in every community center, they are standing with their Muslim brothers and sisters saying, we hope the Americans and British are pushed out of our countries and we can implement the Sharia. So this is an Islamic obligation for us to support our brothers around the world. Our so maybe this man does not speak for even a majority. Maybe not even half. Maybe it's only 10%. Friends, that number is still in the millions upon millions. Um, it should be noted that in the largest segments of Islam, whether Shia or Sunni, it is acceptable to lie to you about the tenets of their faith if it would engender persecution upon them to tell the truth. And what this guy slipped and said on CNN... I found to be true in the countries I've traveled to. When you hear the word peace, please understand that peace to you generally means a cessation of hostilities. It generally means, hey man, let's not fight, you know, can't we all get along? Peace in Islam means, according not just to him, but nearly every scholar you will find, submission in every area of your life. Well, I want to submit to the Lord in every area of my life, so aren't they the same? Well, I guess that depends on what your Lord requires of you, doesn't it? See, my Lord requires of me to love you even if you hate me. I'd like to read to you and have you read Luke 6, 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. When you are thinking about what the Lord is like, He is kind even when people are ungrateful. He tells you to be like Him. In the third surah, in the 28th verse of the Quran, a contrasting verse for you. Let not the believers take for friends or helpers unbelievers rather than believers. If they do that, in nothing will there be help from Allah, except by the way of precaution, that they may guard themselves from them. I want you to understand that if somebody takes the Quran seriously, and maybe what we're calling moderate Muslims are Muslims that do not take the Quran seriously. And if that's the case, hey, let's all have some bacon together. Doesn't bother me at all. If you, if you will hug a rabbi, if you will hug a rabbi to walk on a plane, I want to fly with you anywhere. But if you will not hug an orthodox rabbi, hey, we could do away with the whole TSA with just hiring one rabbi at each terminal. If you'll hug a rabbi, I'll get on a plane with you. But if you won't hug a rabbi, then I'm going to be a little bit concerned that even when you say you are my friend, the Quran tells you you cannot be my friend. So do you take the Quran seriously or not? Eric, there's so many moderates. Well, was Muhammad moderate or not? Ask your moderate friends this. How about this one? This is Matthew 10, 14. 
If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. So, look, if you're persecuted, if someone spits in your face and rejects you, go preach somewhere else. Well, some of the most respected commentaries, hadiths, on Quranic literature say things like, whoever changes his Islamic religion, then kill him. Contrast those two things and tell me they're morally equivalent, that they contribute the same thing to the world. How dare we call the Quran holy and just refer to your Bible as a Bible? Or treat the scripture as if it's probably not true, but the Quran that you haven't read, oh, I'm, I'm sure it's all peaceful. I want to talk to you about mercy or, or ruthlessness. How about Matthew 5? This is Matthew 5, 7, and then after the ellipsis, it is 46 and 47. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you salute only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? Let's contrast that with the Quran, the 48th surah and the 29th verse. Muhammad is Allah's apostle. Those who follow him are ruthless to unbelievers, but merciful to one another. Now, if you're saying, but what about those passages that have to do with the people of the book? You need to Google the principle of abrogation. It is stated in the Quran explicitly in two places that you have the right to replace a previous revelation with a successive revelation if the latter is better than the prior. Well, what kind of wiggle room do you need there to engender hate? So if you find a verse that says love them and then find a verse that says kill them and you deem the verse that says kill them to abrogate the first, well, then that's what Allah wants of you. I'm sure it's a religion of peace. Does it offend you? I think you should be offended that presidents of both parties, that in our time, pastors, these whimpering eunuchs, act as if Islam is okay. Even politicians of the last hundred years knew that it was not okay. Of the last 200 years knew that it was not okay. And secular politicians, Winston Churchill drank more than most people. He smoked more than most people. He was not exactly a Sunday school teacher. Although those are not exactly the qualifications for a Sunday school teacher. And he could see that it was wicked. So let me ask you something. What has changed? Eric, I'm just really worried, along with the Attorney General of the United States, that sermons like the one that you're preaching is going to engender an awful lot of difficulties for peaceful American Muslims. You know how we know that's not true? We have Muslims in this room, at least people that come from Muslim families. Have you ever felt anything but love from us? Maybe you're uncomfortable today. We're all uncomfortable in church sometimes. I, I, I will hug an ISIS person tomorrow, right there without any problem, as long as he is not holding an AK-47. Not that owning an AK-47 is a bad thing.
Things that make you go, hmm. <laughs> Matthew 5.21. You have heard that it was said to men of old, you shall not kill. And whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be liable to the fire of hell. Those are pretty strong words from the founder of Christianity, if you will. It's really the completer of Judaism, but let us not quibble over details this morning. Let's compare those with Muhammad's words in the 47th surah and 4th verse. Therefore, when you meet unbelievers and fight, smite at their necks. You ever wondered why they cut off heads? Why someone posts a video of a beheading? I mean, why not just shoot them? Why not go all uh, Romanesque on us and crucify them? Why cut their heads off? Because the Quran tells you to cut their heads off. When you have thoroughly subdued them, bind a bond firmly on them. Thereafter is the time for either generosity or ransom. So you kill them or subdue them and then we can talk. Until the war lays down its burdens. But those who are slain in the way of Allah will never let their deeds be lost. You're beginning to see why so many disaffected people around the world uh, think it is their service and duty to God to kill. Let me ask you, have you seen that going on in the charismatic community? I mean, anybody run into UPC folks that are advocating killing? Boy, the news media will jump all over it if some guy in a trailer somewhere uh, shoots into a Planned Parenthood, huh? Now, he's not a part of a church, hadn't been to church in, in decades. But, I mean, dear God, please tell me he's white so we can fit him into our category and then sell a narrative that looks like moral equivalence. Bless or slay? What a choice before us, right? I mean, do I bless or do I slay? Matthew 5.11. Blessed are you when men revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad when your reward is great in heaven. You know, the men that go out to the Montrose or go to the prisons and preach are those of us that strongly advocate everywhere we go for Jesus. When we are persecuted, you know what we see it as? A blessing from God. We're thankful. Uh, The guys were arguing the other day about who got blessed more because somebody spit a loogie in their face. Yeah? I mean, rejoicing. Hey, hey, dude, I got spit on for Jesus tonight. Yeah, I did too. Well, who got spit on more? You know? Let's, let's uh, look at the second surah in the Quran. By the way, you don't have to go 40 pages into a Quran to get to this. And slay them wherever you find them. And drive them out of their places whence they drove you out. For persecution is worse than slaughter. So in the Bible, it's a blessing. In the Quran, it's worse than slaughter. Ah, morally equivalent, right? By the way, I ate bacon this morning. I want you to know that. And not just a little bit. I think it was at least 12 pieces. Twelve's hmm? a good number. It was what? Oh, Jennifer says it was 10. I don't want to exaggerate when I preach. But if you'd like to bring me two pieces of bacon, I will eat them while I preach this. John 3.16. By the way, bacon and Jesus, I get that those are not the most uh, common uh, two, two things that you, you might draw parallels from. But I would say this. You like both of them if you try them. 
John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You've been to a baseball game, you've seen this, right? Well, what if at soccer matches we put up Quran 9, the ninth Surah 111th verse? Allah hath purchased of believers their persons and their goods. For theirs in return is the garden of paradise. They fight in His cause and slay and are slain, a promise binding on him in truth. Why don't we put that one up if they are all the same? You following me so far? I didn't lose anybody, did I? I'm going to share with you my personal favorite and then quickly move on. Let's contrast John 16, 2. The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Did you notice he didn't say it was here? He said it was coming. It was still in the future in Jesus' day. Well, the ninth surah and the 29th verse of the unholy Quran. Fight those who believe not in Allah, nor the last day, nor hold that forbidden which hath been forbidden by Allah and his messenger, nor acknowledge the religion of truth, even if they are people of the book, Jews and Christians, until they pay the jiza with willing submission and feel themselves subdued. You don't like your tax rates now? Wait till we get Sharia law. And by the way, to feel yourself subdued, well, you need to read what Sharia in Iran would say about that. You need to read what Sharia would say in Syria. You need to read what that interpretation is. Because you white-skinned ladies, man, you're a special treat, and it's just to make you feel subdued. If that doesn't offend you, where are Nazi feminists? I mean, you know, you weren't upset when Bruce Jenner was declared a better woman than you, and you're not upset when Islam is is trampling upon you? What upsets you? Ah, a woman who loves her husband, raises her kids, a strong Godly conservative woman. That's the biggest uh, threat. Thank you, Nazi ogre women, for your intellectual honesty. The list goes on and on and on, and it probably will not behoove us to keep doing it. So I'm going to stop with one more comparison. Mark 13, 13. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Do you notice Jesus didn't say pick up a sword and kill everybody? What did he tell you to do? Endure. Many times the admonition in the book of Revelation is repeated. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints. Mostly because they're being beheaded. Now what group of people on the planet is still interested in beheading you? Oh well. Quran, the 60th surah and the 4th verse. This is for you an excellent example to follow in Abraham and those with him. When they said to their people, which by the way Abraham never said, We are clear of you and whatever ye worship besides Allah. We have rejected you. And there has arisen between us and you enmity and hatred forever. Unless ye believe in Allah and Him alone. I love or hate. By the way, when you hear things attributed to Jesus or attributed to Abraham in the Quran, and we go, hey man, Jesus is in the Quran. Just talk to him about the verses about Jesus. Well, you know, I know a Bo Jackson in my hometown. And that Bo Jackson is a plumber. 
He's not the Bo Jackson that was the football star and the Nike athlete. So when you say Jesus, we need to know which Jesus you're talking about. And if your Jesus is just a prophet and nothing more, if your Jesus would affirm the statement that God cannot have a son, then he is not Jesus. He would be an anti-Jesus of some kind. Say, well, Allah and, and Adonai, they've got to be the same, right? Do they sound remotely similar to you? We're not just talking about translations here, friends. We're talking about the character of the deity. Is Zeus the same as God? Is, uh, is Shiva the same? Is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Of course not. How do you know it? Because there is nothing similar in their character. Are you following along now? I want to demonstrate with one more video the strange days that we live in. Assalamu alaikum. Boy, I spent several years in Indonesia and heard the call of the Azan at the break of dawn. In Ankara, I made clear that America is not and never will be at war with Islam. In fact, faith should bring us together and Turkey's leadership in the alliance of civilizations. The Quran tells us be conscious of God and speak always the truth. The Holy Quran teaches that whoever kills an innocent is as, it is as if he has killed all mankind. The Holy Quran tells us, O oh mankind, we have created you, male and a female, and we have made you into nations and tribes so that you may know one another. People of the world can live together in peace. We know that is God's vision. Now that must be our work here on earth. Thank you. And may God's peace be upon you. Well, let's recap that. Just to make sure you understand the Quran is holy. According to the president in 2009, you say, hey, Eric, uh, this is not a political forum. No, this is a moral forum. I'm not speaking about uh, political platforms here at all. I'm speaking about the density of the uh, American politician as a whole, because his predecessor also called Islam a religion of peace. Nearly everything that he said in that speech is directly contradicted in the Quran. Not only has the, how about this, climate changed towards the Quran, but it has for the Bible as well. It's not just the Quran that presidents used to call wicked and now we're calling holy. It is also the attitude towards the Bible itself that has changed. Once a respected work that helped shape our nation, now the Bible is to be mocked in the halls of our government at the highest levels. Where we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, and a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. Should guide our public policy. Should we go with uh, Leviticus, which uh, suggests slavery is okay, and that eating uh, shellfish is an abomination, 
or we could go uh, with uh, Deuteronomy, which suggests stoning your child if he strays from the faith. Or should we just stick to the Sermon on the Mount? A passage that is so radical that it's doubtful that our own Defense Department would survive its application. Times have changed. Americans are less biblically educated. Americans are less educated about Islam. Certainly American presidents are different. But do you know what has not changed? The amazing Word of God has not changed. Turn with me to John 6. Let us look at the 63rd verse. By the way, what he said about the Tanakh is abhorrent. It is not true. And if you would like to go over it, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, but I, the very fact that you can stand in an institution built on the ideals that Moses gave us and mock Moses is sickening to my stomach. In John 6, verse 63, are you there? Are the rest of you there? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. When Jesus Christ speaks into a man, when the Word of God is read and honored and held in high esteem, it has a life transforming effect on all who hear it. The Word of God does not return void. But the thing is, is if we treat the Word of God as if it is similar to the Koran, this is as blasphemous as treating Jesus as similar to Muhammad or God as similar to Allah or, hear me, calling God Satan. And yet it hasn't been so shocking in this generation, has it? There are men and women standing in this room that in the last decade, praise God, have received an education. Not that you were not educated people before. You were educated people before and yet willfully ignorant about Islam. I heard the statement standing in our church at one point. Eric, I mean, the thing is, is, you know, it's basically the same as Judaism. No, 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 sir. With all respect, it's nothing like Judaism. And by the way, you can see that in the news every single day if you didn't take the time to read the book. But if you read the book, you would find out that this is the word of life. Do you love the Lord? Yes. I want to talk to you about Romans 10. And we're going to come to a close shortly. I do not want to give Islam more attention than the word of God. And yet, could there be anything more pertinent to our lives today. Living in Sugarland, could there be anything more pertinent to your life today? Say, well, Pastor, I heard the things that you said, but now what do I do? As much as I'll pick a provocative title, as much as I'll stand flat-footed and tell a homosexual that homosexuality is an abomination and then hug him and tell him I love him, I think we need to do the same thing with our Muslim brothers and sisters. Do you know they are the least witnessed to people group on the planet? Do you know that 95% of all worldwide missions from evangelicals is to non-Muslim countries? You know why? Because you're scared. That's why. You want to hear about a man who is 
in love with the Lord and that perfect love has driven out fear? On CBN, and I don't advocate television of any kind, but on CBN, Monday, December 7th at 7 p.m., Fabian Gretsch, who we support every month and have since the weekend that I first met Fabian, will be telling you story after story after story of Muslims who have been born again because they heard the Word of God for the first time in their life. Sometimes the testimony is mixed. I say mixed because we smile and we clap, but we should hang our heads a bit. They had to hear it through a dream or a vision because there was no one to tell them. What if when you saw people walking by in a burqa, you didn't get on the other side of the aisle? What if you were not at all concerned that there was a bomb or whatever other fear you may have? What if instead you took the opportunity to walk up and introduce yourself? Say, Eric, have you ever tried that? Yes. (laughs) Yes. In Romania, a woman jumped over a counter to keep from shaking my hand because... Muslim women are not allowed to touch non-Muslim men. But it led to an interesting conversation. I mean, what happens if you will not engage? What happens to them? What Loretta Lynch is concerned about is a completely unfounded fear. There are no rednecks lynching Muslims in this country. It's not happening. But you know what else is not happening? We're not witnessing to our Muslim neighbors. And yet right here at this altar, a few weeks in a row, we saw young women who were raised in Muslim houses or living in Muslim houses experience the love of our Savior. I want you to understand something. There's no difference between human beings. This is not a sermon against a human being. This is a sermon that clearly outlines something that's evil so human beings can be freed from it. The wrong conclusion to draw is that Muslim people are bad. We ought to be familiar with this. You know, in in the Middle Ages, we had a time period where the Roman Catholic Church burned more Christians than any other entity on the planet. And yet we don't hate Catholic people. We love them. We have former Catholics in this room. But that doesn't mean that the institution's practices were holy, good, or right. And Protestants railed against and caused a reform what was evil. What would happen if you had thousands and thousands and thousands of former Muslims standing up saying, this is wrong, this is evil, and it's not against a race, not against even my home life. It is against teachings that were leading us astray. Americans are quick to point out that whatever moderate Muslim majority there is is silent. Well, not any more silent than you have been in your witness to them. Wow, this was better if I'm just talking about bacon, huh? Turn with me to Romans 10. Starting in verse 11. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. I'm going to put that into the King Eric for just a minute. There is no difference between those who do not eat bacon and those who do. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. If you call on the Lord of glory, you can be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet carrying the gospel. Remember, the difference between the Scripture and the Quran is that if you are persecuted, you are blessed. You don't slay in return. You are blessed. Church, do you want to be blessed? I received a prophecy today during the worship service. Bless my socks off. Because these are difficult things to preach about. Not because it's hard to identify. A small child who is honest could identify the difference between the two religions. It is, again, just our whimpering eunuchs that cannot do it. It is uh, difficult because if you're going to spend an hour, or in my case, a little longer than an hour, speaking about Islam... What do Christians take away from the message that they are supposed to do? Church, you're supposed to rise in the day of evil. Take your stand. And when you've done everything to stand, continue to stand firm then. You are supposed to confront the evils of your day. You're supposed to. You're God's ambassadors on the earth. And if you're silent, turn with me to Isaiah 57. I'm going to read two passages from Isaiah that are close to my heart that had to do with a prophecy that I was given that helped bring clarity to this message. By the way, I loved worship today. Did you? In Matthew 57. I'm sorry, Isaiah 57. Got more than one book on my mind. Look at verse 14. Say there when you're there. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. Would you say it's an obstacle or not to believe that the three great religions of the world are essentially the same? Is that an obstacle or not? It would be an obstacle to believe that. Would you think that it's an obstacle to consider Muhammad and Jesus remotely similar? Yeah, that would be an obstacle. Is it an obstacle To think that uh, Judaism and Islam are essentially the same thing? Of course, it's an obstacle. Is it an obstacle to think that there's a moral equivalence between the Older Testament and the Quran? Yes, it's an obstacle. What I hope to do today is remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. What I hope to do today is to listen to what the high and the lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. He says, I live in a high and a holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. What if the person is hiding under their burqa, a broken and contrite heart because they're married to a man that thinks he honors God by beating them but not in the face so as to make them ugly. And you don't deem them worthy of sharing the gospel with. What if you're speaking to a man who has a decent conscience? He's like 
this can't be true. But the most respected men in my religion believe this is true. What if the Lord speaks through you to them? I was in a taxi cab in 2005 in the Palestinian quarters of Jerusalem. And I was asked, hey, what do you think about George Bush? I said, well, I'm from Texas, but please don't associate me with George Bush. Now, the truth is I love George Bush. I don't care if that bothers you or doesn't bother you. I think he was a sincere man. He was wrong about Islam. He was wrong about a bunch of things, but I liked him. I liked him a whole lot better. I liked him. (laughs) But I answer that question that way so as to not give the cab driver any leaning. I wanted to see where this would go. Inside of 10 minutes, he was justifying terrorism. We parked and went to a shop together. Home that I wanted to see some things in the Palestinian quarter of Jerusalem. I was having tea in the back of a man's shop who hoped to sell me a bag made from camel's leather. And I looked up on the wall and I said, hey, what are those? And they were the Shaheed, the martyrs of their faith. They were heroes on the wall. And I watched the kids run in and out of the room. And I wondered, you know, what happens if you share the gospel? And I found out. I was asked to leave. But at the same time, what if that was the only time they heard the gospel? So I went to the Jerusalem side, and when I went to, I'm sorry, to the Jewish quarter, and when I did, shop owner that I was going to see, his name was Moshe Kapinski, noticed that I was coming from another side. He went me in a shop. The answer cannot be that we simply retreat to our separate corners. And you know why the answer cannot be retreat to your separate corners? You're already losing that argument. Do you understand what I'm saying? All over the world, Islam is advancing because it is not retreating to its separate corner. It is radicalizing people everywhere. I would love to be described as a radicalized Christian. I want radically new eyes. I want to see people as Jesus sees them. I want to speak the word of God without fear of any kind. I want to be carried along by a spirit like the prophets of old. I want to care more for their welfare than saving my own life. You know, that's probably not what they would expect when they see the gun rack and the four-wheel drive truck, but it is the man that God has made me. What kind of man has God made you? Turn with me to Isaiah 35 where we will close. I want to talk to you about the joy of the redeemed. This is the prophecy that I received today. It's that we were blowing up stuff. And there was a highway for the future generations where we were blowing it up. Maybe this is the first time you've heard the things that we said today. I don't mind blowing it up. I never have. I don't mind being provocative or controversial. I mean, you know how I live. My doors are unlocked. This will go online. I'll put it on my Facebook. I'll be as proud of it as could be even if you're not of it or me. Or if you're sitting there scared or scared for me, it's okay. I want to blow things up. Boy, you think we're going to get on the NSA watch list now? (laughs) But I want to blow them up in a spiritual way. 
I don't want to hurt any human being. I'm willing to even be hurt if it frees people because that's what my king did. Are you ready? So, by the way, the prophecy, just so that we don't have FBI agents at Monday night's Bible study, the prophecy was, spiritually speaking, on a mountain full of boulders and rocks and we're blowing it up and a highway was made there and generations were on that highway and had no idea who originally blew it up. They just knew they were benefiting from the highway. Oh, that sounds like God to me. Let's talk about that highway. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Somebody say blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. What will it be like when a fifth of the world's population truly is free from the bondage of Islam? Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution to save you. I know we're talking about Israel, but the thing is, is the miracle of the gospel and the Pauline revelation is that you, once an enemy of Israel, could be grafted into their blessing. You didn't have to be an enemy of God. You could, in fact, turn and the Jewish king would receive you. Oh, man. You want to hear testimonies? Google terrorists who are now in love with Jesus Christ. What amazing testimonies. They said, I was prepared to disarm a bomb. I was prepared to fight with a knife. I was never prepared to face the love of real Christians. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. Say, be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. They will, then will the lame leap like deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Are you getting the picture of a total reversal? You know, almost every person that I've had a chance to minister to that lived in generational Islam and understand if we're getting a chance to minister to them it's because they're God-seeking. In almost every case, they were demonized. They said, what do you mean by that? I mean, they felt harassed in their own homes. They didn't sleep well. There was something wrong gnawing at them all of the time. Do you know why? Because the religion is demonic. And when they come into contact with the precious presence of the Holy Spirit, they feel a spring of life for the first time that sets men free. How dare we deny anyone that? So Eric, you'll never get there talking about bacon. Okay, but what's your excuse? At least I'm talking about something. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Come on now. And a highway will be there. What will be there? A highway will be there. Not a little service road. Not a feeder. Not a tributary. A highway. Do you know why a highway? Because there are going to be millions on it. A highway will be there. It will be called a way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in. Oh, how are they going to know to walk in that way when they have never heard that there is a way? 
I don't see Ibrahim this morning, so I can pick on him. I love Ibrahim. When he walked through the doors of our church, I got a prophecy for him out of Isaiah 19:21 about a highway from Egypt to Assyria and to Israel and the three being holy with the Lord. The Vincents opened their home to Ibrahim and the brave young man came from Egypt to here. I had no idea whether he was a Muslim or a Christian. I didn't know anything about him. Can you imagine that you saw Ibrahim somewhere and you didn't know him? And because of the color of his skin or his dress or because you heard him praying in Arabic, because he does, or German, because he does, or English, because he does. Let's run with Arabic. I think that will work for you. You were scared and didn't talk to him? What would your life be like without knowing him? Have you hugged Norid in this church? Amen. The man is full of the love of Jesus. Church, we're all lost until the transforming power of God sets us straight. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. Did you know that Jesus Christ came to redeem all Men, even the man on the video talking about how to beat his wife. But when Jesus Christ redeems him, the first thing that will happen is the Holy Spirit will wash that silliness out of his heart. Might even put a short stick in his wife's hand. Help him get free faster. When people are redeemed... Everything about them changes. Don't look at the leper in front of you. Look at the man that will no longer be a leper after you have witnessed to him. But only the redeemed will walk there and the ransom of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sighing and sorrow will flee away. The king of kings died for the obedience of every nation. From the Persian nations... From the Indonesian nations. From the entire, not just 1040 window, but most of the Eastern Hemisphere. He died for those nations. We're not going to get there by just playing in our own yard. So, the question remains, what do you do? You know, we found out if you go preach to homosexuals, homosexuals get saved. We found out if you tell Baptist people they can be filled with the Spirit of God, they get filled with the Spirit of God. We found out that almost any problem is solvable by the Word of God. Let's not deny people the Word of God. And I'm going to warn you one last time. Let's not think that we can use similarities in the Koran, similarities anywhere else to just build a common road. They have nothing in common. All you would be doing is reinforcing something that is already wrong. Say, but I just don't know how we'll get there if you're talking about bacon all of the time. Look, we need to call sin, sin, and righteousness, righteousness, and let God begin to sort out the difference when they see a distinction between those who are saved and those who are not. 
then they will want the presence of God. We don't eliminate distinction to witness to people. You don't become like the world to win the world. Y'all stand to your feet.